music plays or played an important part of everybody's life at some point. And I think what makes music therapy work and what makes it effective is that reconnection to that musical self. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champaign-Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today, I have Kyle Fleming from Fleming Music Therapy. So, Kyle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. In the broadest of strokes, what would you say music therapy is? Our national organization has sort of a general definition, which includes music therapy being the intentional use of music experiences within a therapeutic relationship to address non-musical therapeutic goals. So that could be related to physical therapy, mental health, just kind of spiritual wholeness, educational goals. Our profession is kind of moving toward music as a wellness, music as a, as a holistic sort of thing anyway. So sometimes music therapy just looks like jamming. It just mm. looks like getting together and making music. It can also be really intentional. So I work in the mental health realm of things so music therapy can look like interpreting and analyzing music thinking about what it means to us themes and lyrics that represent aspects of our lives and and can teach us things it's a profession that i think a lot of us refer to as cradle to grave because music therapists can work anywhere from neonatal intensive care so there's a lot of research in the NICU of music being a way to help premature infants thrive and grow all the way through hospice and end-of-life care. So reducing right. pain and anxiety to help people transition into that end-of-life. Just kind of everywhere in between, schools and hospitals and all sorts of places. When you said with physical therapy, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting when I thought, oh, right, because you can encourage movement by having someone move to play something you know, in order to stretch or, or be able to, you know, to, to make them not realize that they're in, you know, physical therapy. Yeah. They're actually moving, which it's, yeah, anytime you can get somebody to think about doing something else, but accomplishing something other. Is, yeah. Is <laughs> I, I think a lot of what I've seen and what I've experienced myself with music therapy is music as the motivator to encourage people to do things. I also supervise students and we had a student who was working on range of motion with somebody in their 70s and their 80s. They're just kind of, as you get older, you know, you just, your body kind of closes in on itself. And so they were encouraging them to reach out and hit a tambourine. And it was one of those things where, you know, people just like to hit drums. And so you got something, if you hit this, it makes a noise, it's that instant feedback. 
but it's also encouraging. I can put it over here with stroke survivors. A lot of times they have trouble with uh, what's called crossing the midline. So if I had a stroke on my left side, it's really hard for me to be aware of things that are on the left side of my body. And so if I'm doing music therapy with someone who survived a stroke, I'm going to try and get that right hand over to the left side so that there's that awareness. And then even uh, building the strength in the left hand, getting it over to the right side. Because there's a lot of things that you do in the middle that right. I don't think you realize until that part of you is, is taken away. You do work with physical therapy as well, or is, um, is it predominantly a mental I, health? I, my practice is predominantly mental health, but the training of a music therapist includes all of the different areas. Music therapy as a whole is a bachelor's level profession, so the training is... Four years of classroom instruction that includes three to five uh, what are called clinical practicums so that's usually working with older adults adolescents children in a school setting sometimes that includes going into hospitals and physical therapy and stuff but you learn about all of that and then you do a six-month intensive clinical internship mine was at the iowa veterans home in marshalltown and so that included a lot of mental health sort of stuff, working with dementia, but also a little bit of the skilled nursing, the self-expression sort of route. And then I have a national certification in music therapy. So my letters are Music Therapist Board Certified, MTBC. Illinois just passed a music therapy license. Governor Pritzker just signed it. We won't know what that means for another year. They're writing the rules and figuring out who qualifies. It's exciting. That's kind of the big push in the right. field now is to have that license so that we can be more integrated in the healthcare, be able to build to insurance and, and that sort of thing. I, I'm curious, what is your favorite instrument? That's a good question. <laughs> okay. It's a hard one to answer because I think just in the music therapy training overall, you have to be able to be proficient with your voice, with drums, with piano, and with guitar. I'm self-taught on a lot of those. Also self-taught on bass guitar. I also play the organ. I have this wide variety of instruments that I can just pull out. I did go to college on a vocal scholarship, so I guess voice is the thing that I always have. It's the thing that I can always use, but lately I've been using a lot of drums and a lot of guitar. It's not yeah. really much opportunity for a piano. Unless I'm in some sort of like setting that already has a piano. If someone were to require your services and, and were to walk into your your office, your what I mean, what would you call that? I mean, what's the I would say like office, but I, I won't like Yeah. I'm gonna repeat it like so that I have it right. But what would you <laughs> what would you call it? Like your building, your So your space. It's it's interesting you say that I don't have a space right now. So I, I do a lot of my admin stuff, a lot of my marketing out of my home, but I go into other people's homes to oh. do services. I resisted it for a long time. Before I started my practice, I was like, oh, I don't think I could ever like go into somebody's house. It seems right. really intimate. But as I think about like a trauma-informed approach, yeah, it's really intimate to be in someone's space, in someone's house. And think about the safety issue of like, at any point, they can kick me out. Right. If it ever gets uncomfortable or if it ever gets whatever, they could say, hey, pack up and leave. They don't have to go anywhere. They right. don't have to worry about anything. It's it's me that has to like, oh, well, sorry, whatever. And, yeah. and then I can go. Then it ends up being therapy more on their terms in a certain sense. Like, yeah. so, so it's they're in their safe zone. 
Yeah, exactly. They know exactly what to do to keep themselves grounded, to keep themselves present in the moment. They have their coping skills ready and accessible for them. My next thought was, do you specialize in a particular type of music therapy? I mean, I have my preferences. So music therapy runs the same realm as any sort of therapy, as any sort of like psychology. We could go anywhere that's strictly behavioral. So that's just kind of like managing, lashing out or whatever. And then I, I tend to swing more to more of like a humanistic sort of approach, which is just kind of the radical acceptance of the person as they are in this current moment. Doesn't matter what you've been through. doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Sure, that's important because that informs what you're doing today. I think if I, if my specialization, I guess, is just kind of in that approach of that acceptance and the collaborative piece of, I'm not going to tell you what it means to be well. Mm. You're going to have your own definition of wellness. You're going to have your own definition of healing. You know you best. You are the expert in your experience. I'm just here as like a guide. I'm just here to help you kind of nudge you and push you in that direction. But even within those different approaches, that can include everything from improvising on different instruments, writing songs, listening to music. I have a little bit of training in what's known as guided imagery in music, which is like a psychic free associative exploration right. sort of thing where you're just kind of in a relaxed and altered state and you're just responding to the music. And mm. so you listen to something and it's like, what do you notice? What do you hear? What do you feel? Sometimes that's images. Sometimes that's pictures of like, oh, I see myself on a beach and kind of that sort of thing. But in my experience, that's also been physical sensations. Like I've gone through a deeper version of GIM where my guide pointed out that I was like pressing my feet into the floor. I needed that sort of grounding mm. that I wasn't getting from the music. And so I was like, my toes were white and just like really pushing my <laughs> wow. it, was, it was just kind of a strange experience of like and i remember also at the time that the image that was in my head this is gonna sound really trippy the image in my head was i was a dandelion seed just kind of psychically connected to a bunch of other dandelion seeds had no control over right. where i was going and so that made sense of like in my head i have no control you know, I can't stop. I can't uh. slow down. I can't change directions. So my feet are just pressing into this ground to have some sort of control and some sort of grounding. It's an interesting experience. I don't have the training to go that deep right. <laughs> with anybody. Right. So it's more of the visualization aspect. You know, there's is there something that you need in your life or something that you need from the music? Maybe it's calm. Maybe it's fun. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's grounding, working together to figure out how to get there. Working together to get there. I guess I'm, I'm curious about that process. It's like, does someone contact you? Does someone refer you? Does Is it like, so that connection is made, but then how do you decide how to proceed? Like all the different routes that you just spoke of. So like the guided meditation or the guided Gu imagery, mm -hmm. listening, the writing, the playing, improvising. So, like, how how is that course determined? So, it all starts with an initial conversation. The people that I'm seeing now were self-referrals. They saw me on Facebook or they 
got my information from somebody. I'm also trying to connect with different therapy group practices in town in the area, try to get some referrals from them as well. But it starts with the conversation. It starts with, what do you know about music therapy? Some people don't know a lot. It's been a profession that's been around for 50 years, but it's still new to people. I think 10 or 11 years ago, it kind of got on people's radar after Arizona representative Gabby Giffords was shot point blank in the head. And part of her journey was, yeah, a lot of physical therapy and a lot of stuff, but there was also a music therapist on staff at the hospital that she was at. I have to look up this statistic every time I say it, because it's just kind of an, an unbelievable, you wouldn't think that there would be any sort of quick recovery after being shot point blank in the head, but like yeah. she learned to walk and talk with music therapy as part of her treatment plan within like six months. Hmm. And so it's just kind of an, an incredible journey. And I think that's kind of what put it on people's radar. I don't know exactly. Huh. I know I know it was big <laughs> in my world because like, oh my gosh, this is like the highest profile example. And that was also the same year that like Jody Picoult is an author that wrote a book where the main character was a music therapist. Hmm. And like there's a movie that came out with J.K. Simmons called The Music Never Stopped <laughs> about a guy whose son had a traumatic brain injury and saw a music therapist. <laughs> it's very like melodramatic. They reconnect his father and son through music and, and whatever. But I mean, J.K. Simmons is one of my favorite actors. It's a really good movie. All of that kind of happened 2011, 2012. So I think that's kind of when things got on everybody's radar. Starts with a conversation. What do you know about music therapy? It goes to that conversation of what does wellness mean to you? What does health mean to you? What have you tried so far? What do you think music can do to help you? Sometimes it's, I've done everything. <laughs> like I've done, I've seen all these different therapists. I've tried these different things. I've self-medicated with a lot of things. I've been on these different prescriptions and it's just like, nothing is working. I want to try anything. I want to try something. Those are the people I'm excited about because it's like, you're open to whatever. <laughs> like you tried it all. You've seen all the approaches. You're open to whatever. And it's like, I'm, I'm happy mm -hmm. to be part of that whatever. But it's also, I think music therapy is good for people who maybe don't trust the traditional therapies and stuff. I am intentionally running what I'm hoping is a, a anti-oppressive approach to therapy and stuff, mm -hmm. just because a lot of training in psychology and counseling and stuff is based in this idea of whiteness as wellness. And so if you're not part of the societal ideal of like a white European man, you're somehow deficient or you're somehow there's something wrong with you. Mm. And uh, I, I saw that a lot in residential of black and brown kids coming in and having these conduct disorders diagnoses and this oppositional defiant disorder diagnoses. And it's just because somebody saw the way they talked and saw the way they interacted with people and went, well, that's bad. <laughs> that's not appropriate. And it's like, if you, if oh. you take a moment to learn about African American culture, that's just how they talk to people. I read something recently of like even autism and what's called self stimming with autism and how it's culturally responsive. So with white kids, it's a lot of hand flapping maybe, or it's like stomping or screeching and stuff for 
African-American kids, it's rapping to themselves, it's making beats with pencils, it's, it's that sort of thing. And, <laughs> you know, in a, I, I'm blowing your mind, I can you, tell. You <laughs> are. I, it's just... So, you, you know, you, in a classroom, you have this kid that's beating pencils and the teacher's like, you're being disruptive, you're doing whatever. It's like, maybe, he, maybe that's just stimming. Maybe that's just grounding and they're paying attention, trying to get into a space where they can be successful. That's where a lot of the collaboration comes in. That's mm. why I say you're the, the expert of your own experience. I'm a straight white dude. I, I only know my experience. And if I want to help the widest possible amount of people with what I do, I kind of have to take a back seat. I have to be a learner in this situation and take the lead of, of whoever comes to me. I love that because you mentioned the, this, I think he was at a residence diagnosis of, of the person. I was like, oh my gosh, it's just, <laughs> but my first inclination was just like, okay, was this person a white person that approached a black or brown person and said something that was very i had this picture of if you would just if you impose your whiteness on somebody you would probably get a very poor response oh back. yeah and we were we were talking about tiktok before we were recording some nurses have popped up on my tiktok feed lately talking about this idea of a doctor diagnosing a black person with psychosis because they use the term fam and it's like, if you know the culture, it's like, hey, what up, fam? It's like, oh, I get yeah, it's a term of endearment, whatever. But this doctor was like, they said fam, and I'm not part of this person's family, so this must be some sort of psychosis. It's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's oh, no. not how this works. I've been listening to this podcast will kill you. But anyway, sorry. So this is like this whole, <laughs> you, you just opened up a can of worms, just because this is, you know, as a, I'll say white cis straight dude i i also have to constantly check how i interpret the world and the way that i look at the world and how i interact with the world and how much space i take up so this podcast will kill you was talking about you know how there is still a long-standing in in medical school the way that doctors are are trained there's still this kind of stigma that as if African-Americans do not experience pain the same way. Right. It's like, or or their, their skin right. is thicker than, than yeah. it's just like all of these things that have been debunked for years, but are still so pervasive in the culture. And I think that I, I, I'm just trying my best to be a disruptor, I guess, in this, in this area of kind of embracing this multicultural idea of health and wellness in in mental health and emotional health and i think it it comes back to community too of just ideas of wellness in non-white spaces include mutual aid and include kind of this communal aspect it's one of the things that i'm excited for about kind of being on my own and being in my own practices i can make this look like what it needs to look like so it can look like a certain way in an individual basis it can look like a different way in a community sort of thing and it also looks like advocacy and it looks like speaking up and going to protests and and speaking out on these different topics of trying to be more inclusive and trying to have a broader definition and a broader sort of way to embrace these different ideas and these different communities 
And I know I'm going to mess it up, but that's part of the <laughs> part of the process is messing up and learning from it and, and doing better next time. Especially the process of messing up and learning also sets a good example to other people to mess up and learn as well. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Why did you get into music therapy? What was what was the thing that that inspired you to become a music therapist? I I think the big thing I I remember early on that I wanted whatever I did in my life to involve music in some way. It was just kind of it, it was a major part of and it still is a major part of my identity and it's kind of where a lot of my friendships came from where a lot of my hobbies are sort of centered um my mom was a social worker growing up working in the in the minnesota realm of dcfs and so i was like i was i was interested in that i knew i wanted to do something with mental health maybe social work maybe a counselor i don't know but i also wanted music to be involved in some way and actually my original plan was to go to college, double major in music and psychology, and try to figure it out. Maybe I'll create something, or maybe I'll find a way to blend the two. I was, I think, a junior in high school when I learned about music therapy. It was something that was just not on my radar. It popped up in a Google search, I think. Learned more about it. Got to see somebody in action. Just, like, really enjoyed this person's vibe, but also, like, the group was just really fun. It was just after the new year and it was with a group of folks with dementia. And it was a very, <laughs> I now know it as very kind of a stereotypical sort of uh, music therapy session where it's the new year. So a lot of the songs were centered on newness and babies and everything new. And so there's a lot of like activities. There's a lot of, I'm going to sing this song. I'm going to leave out some words, fill in these words and just kind of the cognitive aspect of it. Yeah, it was just really fun. The thing that's that keeps sticking out for me is somebody fell asleep in the middle of the group. It's one of those where if somebody really like stuck to their session plan and stuck to their schedule or whatever, they would have like tried to wake them up or just kind of left them alone and kept doing their thing. But like this lady paused the session and said, Hey, everybody has these new year hats. Let's see how many we can stack on his head before he wakes up. <laughs> and it was just really fun i think we got to 23 before he like woke up and was just like what's going on it's like you realize you got a whole bunch of hats on your head right and he's like well well by golly i sure do it, it was just so much fun while still being therapeutic and still like having a purpose and stuff it wasn't yeah. it wasn't entertainment i right. knew i didn't necessarily want to do that but i could see like the intention of all of these things and i was like this is absolutely something that I want to do. And then just kind of, I actually had to change the school that I wanted to go to because the one that I wanted oh. to go to didn't offer the program. So I had to wow. switch to their rival, which was huh. an interesting, <laughs> interesting sort of process. What surprises you about music therapy? I think what surprises me most is, I think the motivation aspect of it. I was just talking with somebody couple days ago i found it really interesting working in residential that we would have kids who would refuse to do their typical therapy would refuse to come to groups would refuse to do sports would refuse mm. to do art but if music or animals was involved that would be the motivator and i'm even finding that a little bit because like, i think everybody has a connection with music 
that they may not necessarily have with art or with sports or anything like that. There are so many people that I've talked to where I say, yeah, I'm a music therapist. And they're like, oh, I used to play whatever. I used to play piano. I used to play trumpet. I used to do all this stuff. And it's like everybody at some point in their life, music was really important. Whether they were playing it, whether they were listening to it, the research shows that teenagers, music is kind of the primary way that they form their identity mm. and connect with other people is through music. Whether that's embracing mainstream pop music like Beyonce or Ariana Grande or Ed Sheeran or whatever. I know for me, it was how obscure can I get? I was looking for the the super niche, like, oh, you, yeah, you wouldn't. This is the day before SoundCloud. So I was like, oh, you don't know about this band on pure volume? Uh, this this MySpace band? Oh, boy, you're missing out. I, I don't know. I think about the girls, girls Rock camp and how they'll have a instrument petting zoo. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll gather and, but all it is is just, giving someone an opportunity to come up and interact with maybe an instrument they're like i've never the simplicity and complexity of an instrument there's something that i think opens up in people's minds that i don't know i guess i guess i just find that fascinating that there's there's to be able to experience a, a new musical instrument that they've never experienced before or been close to to see how it works is something that that opens up a whole new world and i think that's part of the fascination of like why it pulls people in yeah the the flip side of that is i think just our culture in general has turned music into this sort of elite sort of thing like you're not a musician unless or until you have a certain skill level so many people that are like oh i mean i i play piano but like i could never write a song i could never like play and sing at the same time it's like well the very fact that you're playing piano makes you a musician the fact that you sing in the shower makes you a musician just thinking back through history how music was this communal thing like the whole reason houses had parlors back in the day was travelers would come in people you'd invite your friends over and you would all make music yeah and it was just kind of this thing that you did you didn't necessarily perform for anybody nobody got paid really but like people would come and they would play and they would dance and that's what we did to connect with people and at some point along the way it became this elitist thing of Mm -hmm. like oh a musician is somebody who performs somebody who tours somebody who writes somebody who makes money off of this thing it's too bad because <laughs> as much as I love performing, as much as I love writing my own music, it's just jamming and playing with other people is just so much more fulfilling hmm. to me. And I think it's fulfilling for a lot of people. I think we're just missing out on this opportunity to connect with people in this hmm. way because we have these ideas of what music is and what it isn't. Has there been anything in a session that surprised you? This is a story that I tell a lot and it was actually used the, the, this is a kid that I worked with several years ago. He's like out of the area. I still won't use like his name or anything, but like, this is a kid from, from several years ago. The, the long story short was he has just this, this extensive history of abuse with his parents, with strangers involved a lot of 
physical abuse and neglect and, and drug use and all of this stuff. And he was also the oldest of like five kids, I think. And so he was very parentified. At 10 years old, he was taking care of the rest of, of his family because mom and dad were nowhere to be seen and just didn't seem to care. And so when he got to residential treatment, a lot of his issues were just not expressing himself. Just kind of bottling things in, lashing out at people when he just couldn't hold it anymore. And I remember at the time we were having serious conversations because he was like on my caseload as far as like treatment planning and, and me having input. And we were having serious talks of like, he needs to go somewhere else. He needs to go to like a higher level, like a locked facility, just kind of really struggling. I had a session with him where it was it was kind of like a free association sort of thing. So I played a Brian Eno song, uh, Two Forms of Anger. It was just very instrumental, a lot of like heavy guitars, heavy drums sort of thing. My only instruction was like, listen to this music, whatever you hear, whatever it makes you think of, whatever it makes you feel, put it down on this piece of paper. It could be words, pictures, scribbles. I had like all sorts of like markers and stuff. It could be all these different colors. As soon as the music started... This kid started, he was furiously writing, just writing, 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 front of the page, back of the page, needed a second piece of paper <laughs> to the front of that page, the back of that page yeah. in this like four minute song. By the time the song ended, he was just so exhausted. He was just so like, whatever he was holding on to was let out. And he just like, he just like collapsed on his chair and he didn't want to talk about it in the session, but he let me read what he wrote. And it ended up being this letter to his mom, just completely like trashing her, just being like, you said you cared, but here's all the ways that you didn't. You said you would come back for me and you haven't. You said you would protect us and you didn't. I'm punching holes in the wall because I'm so angry at you. Just like all oh, this, this big F you to his mom. It was kind of a turning point. For him so we're talking about what what surprises me in sessions this is the thing that continues to motivate me and continues to stick with me is music served as this catalyst for him to release everything and then within the next year our conversation shifted from we got to step him up into this locked facility to oh yeah he can go home to his grandma and then he event like he left our facility and then he like last i heard he like was adopted by his aunt or something and lived in florida for a while this complete turnaround my choir director in college always said that every performance we need to be on top of our game because we never know what people are bringing in to the concert hall right. or wherever we're performing you know maybe they had a rough day maybe there's something heavy on their heart maybe like all of this stuff and it's like we got to be on top of our game because our music can serve as this catalyst for healing so i i think of this kid and i think of that advice and that's really just kind of the the motivation for me is every interaction that i have with somebody musical or not musical is an opportunity to be one step closer to healing and so it surprises me what sticks the the roundabout answer i guess is yeah. it, it's it's surprising to me what sticks like what is the thing that that somebody takes away mm. 
Because a lot of times it's not what I intend it to be. It's just so great to see people improve and, and, and to flip that switch and be able to a greater version of themselves. Why do you think music therapy works? Like, what is it that's, that's capturing that fast? Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. what, what does it do? Why does it work? Yeah. I, there's a whole, like, research-based answer I can give you, too. Like, there's a lot of studies of, like, trauma research. Music bypasses the speech centers of the brain and allows you to tap in. Those are, those are interesting clinical answers. I think the real answer comes down to what I mentioned earlier of music plays or played an important part of everybody's life at some point. Mm. And I think what makes music therapy work and what makes it effective is that reconnection to that musical self. Mm. Because what usually follows when I hear, oh, I used to play piano is... I wish I didn't give it up. Mm. I wish I had stuck with it. Even when I'm working with two or three-year-olds, that element of play, music allows for that space to play and be a kid. Teenagers, music allows for that space to express yourself and to have a full sense of identity. A lot of people in general don't want to work with teenagers because they're so difficult and they're so opinionated and so whatever. It's because they're in this weird space where they're still being treated as a kid, but they don't feel like a kid. Music, especially an approach that allows them to be in control and allows them to be in the driver's seat, it's something they're interested in, something they're passionate about, and they have a captive audience. Hmm. So of course I'm going to express myself if like hey what's your favorite band oh of course i'm going to tell you all about my chemical romance because that's <laughs> that's yeah. the the core aspect of my identity is this this band that i love and the music that i love and how meaningful it is to me hmm. and then an hour later they're like wait when's the therapy start it's like oh we've been in it right we're done we're done for today come back next week tell me about fallout boy i don't yeah. know so it's like everybody has this aspect of music in them. It's just a matter of how do you tap into it? How do you bring it back out, lead to a more fulfilling life? Even in the midst of the current coronavirus pandemic, the Jubilee Cafe is continuing to serve packaged home-cooked meals free to all every Monday evening. 5 to 6.30 p.m. Meals are available for pickup outside the 6th Street door to the Community United Church of Christ in Champaign, Illinois, 805 South 6th Street. Jubilee Cafe's mission remains the same. Feed hungry people by cooking healthy and delicious meals. We are open to anyone who cares to receive a meal. For information on the meal or how to volunteer, go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email us at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. So, Kyle, do you have a favorite Champaign-Urbana venue? Oh, boy. I would have seen before their remodel. I would have said Cowboy Monkey. 
I've only been in there for for coffee since their remodel, but I've been to Canopy Club several times. I really love Canopy Club. I've heard Blackbird is a good space. I haven't been to Rose Bowl, but I've heard they're a good space too. But yeah. I've I've also been to really great concerts in people's houses. Yeah. So I think I think for me, it's not necessarily the venue. It's, <laughs> I think it's just the the people that are there. Because I've been to venues where the crowd has been awful and the mm. experience has been bad. If it's a good group of people to be around, I don't think it really matters yeah. where we're at. So exactly, it's my cop out answer for you. No, that's great. <laughs> that's great. And I I look for it. I mean, and I do miss the stage at Cowboy Monkey. It was probably one of my favorite spaces. You mentioned Minnesota, but how long have you been in the Champaign-Urbana I, since the summer of 2014, so I'm, I'm coming up on eight years of being in the area. And, and that was to pursue your practice here or? Uh, So that was to work at Cunningham. So I've been in private practice since March of 2021. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. A year, a year (laughs) after the, the shelter in place Mm -hmm. happened, it's become very, very obvious with having to survive through the pandemic and be mentally healthy during a pandemic, how important it is to have music in our lives, to have that interaction, to have that expression, and to start a private practice for music therapy. But in the midst of it, but a year later from the pandemic, shelter-in-place beginning seems very timely and and like at a good spot to be filling a very necessary hole that leads me into my one of the questions that i've been asking posing during the pandemic is what makes a good music community and maybe even broader in the sense of from a mental health perspective like what makes a good community overall i think for me what makes good community is people watching out for each other and getting away from this individualist mindset, which has kept us in a pandemic for two and a half years (laughs) and, and, and moving toward more of a, of a mutual aid watching out for each other. That is the, the biggest difference that I've been seeing between people who are taking the pandemic seriously and people who aren't the people who aren't are like, well, I don't need to wear a mask. It's my freedom. It's my, whatever the people who are in community and the people who care are like, here are seven people that I'm worried about. Here are groups of people that I care about. And it like selfishly for me, I have a newborn at home. So I'm, of course I'm going to take, every precaution I can. I'm going to wear a mask when I'm out in crowds of people. I'm going to limit when I leave the house and and that sort of thing. It's not even just that. It's just the care and concern that I have for disabled people and disabled communities and old people who are immunocompromised and, and older people. Like I know if I get sick and just the way that COVID has worked and how we understand it. If I get sick, I don't know for several days and that's several days that I could spread it to other people. And I could be the catalyst for an important person, in someone else's life 
getting really sick and dying. And I think being in community and being part of a good community is having that knowledge that my actions don't just affect me. And that goes into the the music community as well of like everybody just watching out for each other. I, I still think about, who was it? Travis Scott and Astroworld of like, everybody's enjoying it, but we have this thing <laughs> happening that killed so many people because nobody wanted to do anything and nobody was paying attention. And I think part of that music community and part of community in general is paying attention mm-hmm. and seeing or anticipating even when things could go south and doing what we can to prevent it. And if we can't prevent it, stopping, mitigating it from getting worse. And I think if we're too individualized of a mindset, that'll never happen to me leads to (laughs) everything that we've been seeing. Yeah. Well, and, and I think to that point, even, you know, we can go super big events such as the Astroworld incident, but even if we're looking at our own individual community where we want to create safe spaces where everyone feels safe, you know, even the individual person that's focused only on themselves can appreciate the fact that if we make safe spaces, you're going to have more people at whatever venue, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I I just, sometimes I, I don't know if I just think... Of course, everybody can interpret it that way like I do. But it's like, if you make a good space and you watch out for other people, people will want to come and be there. I don't know. Yeah, 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 I I was just listening to a podcast the other day. They were interviewing a comedic improv actor who runs a studio in Boston. And they asked her, like, how do you make your theater safe and accessible for people and she said sometimes it's little things like giving a performer an option not to change in the green room it's like pointing out hey this is this is your green room space if you you can change here or here's a bathroom or here's a pop-up tent that we have you can change in here something so small of like oh i don't have to be in a vulnerable state of dress around people i don't know wow amazing think about the mental energy that that frees up. They also had like a code of conduct and a code of ethics of like, you have to sign this before you can perform. If you don't sign this, which says, you know, no racism, no harassment, no anything like that. It's like, if you don't agree to these terms, you don't perform here. Mm. And so just having that expectation of like, they post that code of ethics on their website. So people who are coming to see the show know that like, Oh, Everybody that I'm going to see on this stage agreed to these rules, so I'm going to have a good time. This goes back to this aspect of community, of recognizing that improving the life of one group of people improves the life of everybody. I think you were talking about that earlier, of like, if we can speak out against transphobic stuff, not only does that make trans and uh, gender nonconforming people safer, that makes everybody safer. Because right. now I, as an ally, don't have to be in this uncomfortable position of like, oh, I know that doesn't affect me, but I know it affects people in the room. Do I say something? Do I ignore it? All these 
quote unquote uh, difficult things for <laughs> straight right. cis white dudes to <laughs> consider. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004, carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week. They can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Welcome back. Kyle, what is your favorite non-musical thing or things? Oh, just in general? Yeah. Oh, my. Or they could be very specific, too. I mean, uh, we've had some great answers, such as whimsy. That was my favorite answer. (laughs) My favorite non-musical thing is whimsy. Is whimsy. Oh, that's great. Episode uh, 29 with Anka. That's a good answer. I think my answer is similar to that. I think it's just wonder Hmm. and curiosity. And I say that because I'm also a magician. And (laughs) I love it. I'm a a man of many talents. What draws me to magic is kind of the same thing what draws me to music. This sense of wonder and, and curiosity of subverting expectations, finding joy in unexpected places. Even with my knowledge of magic, sometimes I'll see a trick and I'll go like, oh yeah, that was a, they did a this thing here and that thing. And when they pointed over there, they were doing something tricky, whatever. But if it's done really well and if it's done engaging, mm. it doesn't matter if I know right. <laughs> how it's done. And I think that's the same way with music. Like I know the chords. I know like I have a degree in music so i like the theory of melody and counterpoint and all that stuff it's a language and a knowledge base that i have but man it feels great to just mm. be lost in something and to just be in this sonic space of like something that's really powerful and meaningful even if like bo burnham released outtakes of his inside special from last year just i, I remember being obsessed with that special and just like the music in it is really interesting and funny and incisive and all of this stuff, but like just such a powerful thing that I watched it probably seven times, Hmm. (laughs) like multiple times a day. I was like really obsessed with it. And then it came out on Spotify. I've been listening to it nonstop that, that sense of wonder and being open to powerful and new experiences. I don't think enough people embrace that. And I wonder how this world would change if they did. I'm curious, have you ever used magic in therapy sessions at all? Not in therapy sessions. I do kind of do it as a rapport builder. I I did it in in residential when, like, you know, there's three people in a group and one person is running late. I was like, oh, I just happen to have this deck of cards. Here's a little, like, boop, 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 boop. There we go. I have incorporated music into my magic. I do a torn and restored sheet music 
that I had a friend of mine who has her doctorate in piano performance. I had her record a custom music track for me to do that with where she messes up the music as I tear it up. And so it's got the comedy of like, oh, this music sounds really chaotic, but that's because the sheet music is in a hundred different pieces right now. And then as the music is restored, the audio track comes back to the standard whatever. If people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? So I am Fleming Music Therapy on pretty much all social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, my website, FlemingMusicTherapy.org. Feel free to check everything out. I'm pretty responsive. So if you got questions, I'm happy to answer them and looking forward to connecting with people. Excellent. And I'll go ahead and put those links in the show notes. So if you want to find that, you can find that. Kyle, thank you for being on the show and telling me about your music therapy practice, what music therapy entails and the community of Champaign-Urbana, and then your favorite non-musical thing. I really appreciate you being on the show. I am so glad that you reached out. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to Champagne is Also a Band podcast. This is Kyle from Fleming Music Therapy reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live. Champagne is also a band. You almost have an NPR voice. It's so good.